The Fanboy, episode 76. Hi everybody, Mario Francisco Robles, MFR here with you, and this is episode 76 of the Fanboy Podcast. How's everybody doing out there? Uh, I kind of want to just open by apologizing for getting you this week's episode a couple days late. Friday, just, you know, life happened and I kind of just had to deal with it. Don't worry, it was nothing scary, nothing stressful. I mainly just kind of had to show up for a buddy of mine, one of my dear closest friends for over 20 years now. Uh, needed me for something and I kind of just did that thing where I drop everything to go help and it took way longer than I thought but uh, here we are and this is going to be an interesting episode of the show because right now at the tone it will be midnight it just became Monday and uh, my family's all asleep here around the house I'm going to try not to shout too much but you know no promises I am half Cuban after all But, um, yeah, you know, I kind of had like a brain fart, too, because when I rescheduled on Friday, I said you guys were getting a show on Monday, and that's all well and good, typically, but I'd completely forgotten that on Monday I have a rare DJ event in the middle of the, you know, late afternoon, early morning, no, late morning, early afternoon. Boy, I think the midnight is already starting to show on my brain. This ought to be good. But um, yes, so, you know, I have an event. I have a work event, and it's going to take up all the time while my kids are at school, which is when I would typically record an episode of this show and edit it and get it ready for you. So considering I'll have to work on Monday, here I am late Sunday night, early in the wee hours of Monday morning, putting this show together for you because I feel I owe it to you. And besides, I do have plenty to talk about. So may as well get this done. So, um, you know, I kind of want to just open also with a little bit of housekeeping because you guys have been doing amazing things with these reviews. Uh, you know, I'm really kind of just like, uh, it's just, it just it blows me away that here we are, you know, a couple weeks after I asked for some more reviews and they continue to pile on in. And I got two more since the last episode, two more since, I, since we last spoke. So uh, this first one comes from Joey Misfit. He wrote uh, the, the, the headline of his five-star review is Building a Better Fandom. And he wrote... The world needs more like this, an inviting, positive, fair voice to cut through all the negativity that all fandoms are entirely too often sidelined with. If I didn't know better, I'd swear Mario was Kryptonian. (laughs) Cheers. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, Joey. That that really means a lot, especially uh, the Kryptonian bit for, for obvious reasons, but... Thank you, and you know, I, I a part of me wants to say uh, you give me too much credit for you know trying to build a better fandom, but you know I just suck at taking on taking compliments. But thank you, I'm trying, and I'm glad that at least for you and for this little community we're building here, you know, in our little dome, uh, things seem to be peaceful and nice and happy, and people just talk about what they love and they don't harp on what they hate. And, you know, we made this Facebook group for uh, Revenge of the Fans. It's called uh, the Revengers Lounge. And I love popping in there and seeing all the great conversations that are taking place. Right now, we're basically just accepting anyone who pops in. So if you want to find us on Facebook, 
you know, the Revengers Lounge, um, you know, please come on in and I'll, I'll accept you right away. But, you know, yeah, we're building a nice community here. And, Joey, I know you're a part of it. And to all the regulars, just, you know, let's keep on keeping on. Let's keep on spreading positivity. And uh, even if we don't like something, we don't have to be mean to those who do. I know that's very hard to do on the Internet in 2018. But right now, it's kind of what I try my best to do. And uh, it seems like I found some like-minded people. And we together are building a better fandom. So thank you, Joey. Now, the next review I got was from someone named Lee Renwick. And Lee titled their five-star review, Great Podcast. And then Lee wrote, Heard MFR on Shanlian on Batman. And I know it's Shanlin, but I like just saying Shanlian. Don't, don't judge me. Okay, he said, Heard MFR on Shanlian on Batman and started following Twitter and listening to the podcast. Great info, clearly knowledgeable, and an even better listen. Download the podcast and leave a five-star review. Thank you, Lee. I like you. are like my hype man. Yes, do it. Take Lee's advice. Lee is absolutely correct. Listen, subscribe, and, and, and keep on the uh, five-star reviews coming in because they really do make a difference, and I really do appreciate it because at the end of the day, you know, it's been a while since I've reminded you all of this, but I don't get paid for any of this, you know? We get a little bit of Patreon love, which thank you so much for those of you who do chip into the Patreon love. But Revenge of the Fans is still kind of on that precipice of becoming profitable, but we're only nine months in and we're not quite there yet. And uh, yeah, all these, all these hours. I was thinking about it earlier today while putting up some Halloween decorations with my family. My brain just sort of started to wander. I'm like, if I were to add up the amount of hours I have poured into the Fanboy Podcast, into RevengeOfTheFans.com, into the Revengers, you know, podcast, and all the other stuff that I try to do to build the brand and create the YouTube videos and come up with video ideas and, you know, just all this stuff, like, it's it's laughable, the, the, the pennies on the dollar that I make to do this. But, you know, I mainly just do it because I love it, and I do it because you guys seem to enjoy it. So here I am, you know. Um, but either way, thank you to Lee and thank you to Joey for, for these two wonderful reviews. And thank you to everyone. At this point, we're at 53 five-star reviews on the Fanboy Podcast. I looked around at other podcasts in my genre, and most of them aren't even anywhere near that yet. So, you know, you guys are really helping make this show sound and seem very special. Um... And, you know, it, it's hard for me to take compliments. And I don't know if you, if any of you out there can relate to this. But, like, my first instinct when I'm given a compliment is to go, all right, what does this person want from me? Or why are they buttering me up? You know, I, I'm very sort of distrustful when people are kind and when people step out of themselves to be nice to me. Or, you know, I just, I, I just, I, I have a distrust of people being nice and giving and generous when it comes to me. And when I attempt to be a pessimist about the nice things you guys say, I remind myself that you guys aren't asking for anything in return. All you guys are doing is voicing your appreciation for what I'm doing. You're not buttering me up. You're not getting anything out of telling me that you appreciate the work. And that, I guess that helps it, that helps make it a little easier for me to try and accept the compliments because it really just seems like it's coming from your heart. And uh, 
thanks for not asking for anything extra from me because <laughs> sometimes I feel bad too because I know on Patreon, you know, most most Patreon campaigns whatnot, they offer you all these great like perks and oh, we'll give you a t-shirt and a bonus episode and this and that. And I don't like do any of that. I, I'm, I, feel, so, I feel like such a schlub. But you guys are so wonderful about just, you know, supporting and contributing and not asking for anything in return, just kind of enjoying going on this ride with me and with the wonderful contributors I, I've, I've put alongside, you know, along, alongside myself, both at the website and with all the other podcasts we have going on. So, oh, I don't know, that was just kind of a tangent. But uh, all right, let, let, let's get into some of what's going on out there. Because right now, the big subject, right now, the big thing is this weekend, Titans debuted on the DC Universe. And I am finally a member of the universe. So I figured I'd, ch- I, I'd check it out and talk to you about it on the show. So here's a couple of just sort of off the cuff remarks. I didn't write any notes while watching the show, I just tried to take it all in. And here's sort of my knee-jerk, very organic response. And by the way, I just watched it, like right now. My kids went to bed, and then my wife went to bed, and then I sat here and watched Titans so that I could talk to you about it on the show. So it's very, very fresh. Um, So when it comes to first episodes of a show, you know, I tend to not view, I tend to not critique them the same way I would review a later episode. Because for me, what I expect from a first episode is, it's almost like with a video game. You know how like the first mission in a video game is usually just a tutorial? It's almost kind of on rails. It's mainly just introducing you to how things are going to work. You know, here's your main character. Here's what the villains are like. Here's what the rules are. Here's what, here's what their, you know, your abilities and power-ups are. Here's how you get a game over. You know, the, the first episode is like the first mission in a game where it's just we're establishing the rules and we're letting you know that if you keep going, you know, this, this, this is step one and we hope you'll follow us on these next few steps as we continue to expand and evolve. And for me, this episode did that. It, it set the table. It didn't set me on fire. You know, sometimes I see an open, uh, an, uh, an initial episode and I'm like, I need to see episode two right now. This is unbelievable. Like this didn't do that for me, but it also didn't turn me off. It was kind of like, you know, I, I kind of give it like a thumbs in the middle leaning upward because I'm intrigued by the characters. I'm intrigued by the world that they're setting up. But right now, to me, it still feels very kind of early in the process. Right now, you know, we haven't really gotten into the nitty gritty of who these people are and how they're going to interact with each other and what their chemistry is like and what the overall arcing sort of story they want to tell is. So, you know, I don't know enough to really say that, oh, this is going to be an amazing show or to say that this is going to be awful. But right now, as a table setter, I, I enjoyed it. You know, it, I thought the uh, the scene where the I think her the character's name is Starfire, when she I, I see yeah, maybe this is a spoiler and some of you haven't seen it. I don't know. Th- there's a really cool scene w- that involves fire and seeing people get incinerated and then turn to s- like ashen statues, and then you get to see an ashen statue crumble to the ground bit by bit. I mean, it's very dramatic. And it was very awesome. I think I, I'm pretty sure I let out an audible wow when that happened while watching it. So, 
you know, it, it's got potential. You know, some of it, you know, if I have to get negative a little bit, you know, it's, some of it felt a little low rent. Some of it felt like, you know, daredevil light. You know, when we, at some point we spend some time in Dick Grayson's apartment and I swear to you, it looks like almost exactly like Matt Murdock's apartment. And, and the uh, at least in the first, I haven't seen the uh, the latest season of Daredevil. Actually, it's not even out yet, is it? Daredevil season three. So I guess up to now, what is Matt Murdock's apartment with the big, you know, dingy windows and like the very sort of open, exposed brick? And it's all sort of dark and the kitchen is part of the living room. And there's like, it, it, I swear to you. They just basically took like a carbon copy of Matt Murdock's apartment and just made that Dick Grayson's abode. Um, so, you know, some of it felt felt a little like a like a cheesy sort of low rent version of Daredevil. But all in all, you know, I, I found myself intrigued by the world that they're establishing. I want to know more about these characters. That ending was very like WTF. Uh, I need to see why they showed us that and, and how that, you know, where we go from there with, with that character. But um, overall, you know, like I said, thumbs in the middle, kind of moving upward. If it was like a number grade, I would give the first episode of Titans like a 6.5. You know, as a, as, a, as, a, as a letter grade, I guess it would be like a B minus, you know. But uh, there you go. Those are my thoughts on Titans. I, I look forward to seeing how uh, how it evolves in the episodes to come. I should note, too, that, you know, it, it's, it's, it's notable for me that I even want to do that because I don't watch a lot of superhero TV. In fact, I was thinking about this earlier today. The last couple of times I've watched any superhero TV, it was for you guys. It was so that I could talk about it because I knew that it's it's one of the big, buzzy, trendy things happening. And I'm like, well, I better have something to say about it if I want to try to appear to be relevant. So, um, like, that's why I saw the first few episodes of Iron Fist Season 1 back when that came out, you know, a year and a half ago. Because at the time, the big buzz was how terrible it was and everyone was freaking out about Iron Fist Season 1. So I'm like, I better watch some of this so I could talk about it on the show. And then the same thing happened earlier this year with Krypton. And with Krypton, I saw the first episode and I talked about it on an episode of the Revengers podcast alongside Brett and Vanessa. And uh, yeah, like that, that, those were the last two times I really was. And, oh, and I even checked out Supergirl uh, on Netflix over the summer, just like an episode or two. I don't even think I watched full ones. I just saw glimpses. Because a couple of you have been really pushing for me to check out certain things. Some of you thought I should see how Superman is portrayed on the show. So I watched some of the first episode of the Tyler Hoechlin Superman Appears. And I watched the, the, the premiere episode of the season too, just to kind of see what it was all about. But again, I mainly did it so I could talk to you guys about it. Because I don't know what it is. There's like a weird disconnect for me when it comes to superhero TV. I can't quite like... I don't figure it out. I know that like I, I sometimes I, I think I'm like I'm like a movie snob. I really do have this weird viewpoint where like the only things that matter with these characters are the things that happen in movies. And I'm sure that's sacrilegious to some of you, but it just comes. I don't know. I just for me, the movies are the definitive versions of these types of characters. 
And if I find out that these characters are never going to interact with their movie counterparts and that there's no synergy, then I just kind of lose interest. And maybe that's to my detriment. Maybe I'm missing out on all kinds of incredible stuff. And listen, I want to finish season one of Krypton. A bunch of you have been pushing that on me, but I can't like find it anywhere. That, that That's like my issue right now. It's not on any of the streamers unless I want to like pay to rent it or something. And when I go on demand, you know, it only goes back so far. And, you know, right now I think I would have to go in without having seen like episodes two, three or four if I run it, if I want to finish the season. And like, what's the point, you know, but I digress. Um, I feel like the last time I really tried to get into superhero TV was because of the fact that those Marvel Netflix shows were said to be part of the cinematic universe. You know, and in Daredevil one, you know, season one, you know, they make reference to the Incredible Hulk and the battle in Harlem, and they also make reference to the Avengers and the and the big fight, you know, the big battle of New York, and they really kind of tease you with this idea that it's all connected, and that's when I started watching. I I, I loved Daredevil season one. I really, really enjoyed uh, Jessica Jones. I watched Daredevil season two, and I could not wait to see more of John Bernthal's The Punisher. But then something happened. Because then it started, you know, by, by this point now, a year and a half, two years had gone by on these Marvel Netflix shows. And I started to see, wait a minute, they're hardly connected at all. And the mere fact that, like, we're going to have, like, Civil War and we're going to have Avengers Infinity War and we, we're, we don't, we're not going to expect to see any of these characters factor in and suddenly my interest kind of just withered away and died. And that's why I haven't finished season one of Luke Cage. I didn't finish season one of Iron Fist. I still haven't seen The Defenders. And I haven't even seen that Punisher series that I was so excited about. So for better or worse, I lose interest when I find out that this is just its own thing. And it's just on TV with a TV budget, with TV level talent. Which, by the way, is a very old-fashioned way of thinking, by the way, because TV's gotten so great. But I swear there's a part of me that's still, you know, the part of me that grew up in the 80s and 90s still has that thing where, like, oh, TV is where it is. Movies is where it's at. TV is where, like, the low-rent people go. And a movie star should never besmirch themselves by being on a TV show. I sound like I'm from the 1950s. But I swear to you. I, there's a part of my brain, part of my psyche that hasn't accepted that some of the best stuff that's happening anywhere is on television. So maybe I just need to get over it. But for now, uh, you know, Titans is uh, kind of on my radar and that's kind of notable because I don't really watch superhero TV anymore. And maybe this will be the series that kind of acts as a gateway and makes me want to venture into some of the you know, CWDC shows and all that other stuff. Because, you know, maybe I need to get over it once and for all. That just because it's not part of the movie canon doesn't mean it's not worth exploring, you know. Um, but okay. Now, one, another thing I kind of want to touch on today is like the success of Venom is crazy. Because the numbers came out earlier today. And, you know, everyone was expecting it to sink like a stone. Because, you know, the reviews were not great. You know, it had a great first week last week. 
but people thought, you know, between the negative reviews and if you know, if people don't go out there and bang the drum for this movie, then no one's going to watch it because, you know, whatever. It has a 30 on Rotten Tomatoes. How good can it possibly do? And blah, 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 blah. Well, you know what? It only cooled 56% in its second week. It pulled in another $35.7 million. It pushed Sony over the billion mark domestically for the year. Like, Venom is a surefire success story for Sony. And that's so interesting to me. You know, it, it shows you that audiences are, it, they really will ignore critics if their friends tell them it's good. You know, it's all about word of mouth. And remember, the word of mouth on, on Venom was that it was a B plus. That's a decent cinema score. Not great. You know, I, I've already pointed out that that cinema score, you know, like the, the letter grades in cinema score are not like the letter grades when you get an essay, you know, checked at, for homework at school. You know, you, while you may jump for joy at a B, you know, by industry standards, you know, a B is not so hot uh, when it comes to a cinema score. But B plus, you know, it's pretty positive. It's pretty positive. And... You know, some you know some were being naysayers. Some were doubting that it would have a strong second weekend. They assumed it would drop like a stone, do like an X Men Origins type deal. You know, the the Wolverine movie, which dropped like sixty eight percent or sixty nine percent in its second weekend, and it did not do that. It had a very solid hold. So you know, Venom Venom is proof, by the way, that fun like there is a value in fun. Because I know last year the big, you know, the word fun became a four-letter word for a lot of DC fans. Because they kept hearing about, you know, Justice League and, and Jeff Johns and how he wanted to make it more fun. And Joss Whedon wanted to make Justice League more fun and fun, 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 fun. I sound like Tigger. <laughs> the one and only thing about Tigger's line, the only one. Anyway, um... I've, oh, it's 12.20. Okay, so I, uh... You know, it, it, about fun, okay? Fun greases the wheels. Fun makes the medicine go down. And I swear that's what happened here with Venom. Because remember, it's not a great movie. And I feel like even most of the people who gave it good reviews, they all acknowledge that it's not great. You know, it's not a particularly special movie. It doesn't do anything new or inventive that's going to make you just, you know, your jaw drop to the floor. It's got a lot of, you know, holes in the, it's just, it's not great. It's really not, but it's fun. You enjoy seeing Venom do his thing. You enjoy Tom Hardy's insane performance as Eddie Brock. And it shows you the value of fun because if it's fun, it over, you know, you can, it can overcome an overall incomplete experience. It can make you still want to tell your friend at work the next day, yeah, you know, it's not great, but I think you, know, I, I think you should check it out because, you know, it's, it's a good time. It's a good time, and Venom eats heads. Like, whatever it is, you know, you're, you're more likely to spread the good word if you had a good time watching it. Whereas on the flip side, if it's the same amount of flawed as Venom was, but not fun, very serious and dour and grim and depressing. Now have that conversation with your coworker the next day, and you're probably going to tell them to skip it. And it just goes to show you that there is a value in fun. There's a reason that studios push the fun button sometimes. And sometimes it works, like it did with Venom, and sometimes it doesn't, like it did with The Predator. 
I swear to you, last month, you know, Shane Black's The Predator, it looks like it got studio noted to hell. It looks like they, you know, they, for whatever reason, they weren't happy with Shane Black's or, original cut. And they asked him to add more jokes and they kind of gutted the plot line a little bit and it became more like it became Marvel, like a, a, like a Marvel Predator movie. I swear it was like weird. It had none of the actual like what a Predator movie should be. And all they tried to do was make it fun. So it doesn't always work, but it does make for a generally better experience. And it does up the likelihood that people will then tell their friends, hey, you should check this out. You know, and look, while on the subject of, you know, I, I mentioned Justice League and, and fun and the, the four letter word, you know, I was thinking about that last week, about, about that movie. And, you know, the, the lack of success that Justice League found has got to be one of the main reasons that we're in this Superman predicament that we're in. Because, you know, as I pointed out before, it was the third time they had trotted Henry Cavill's Superman out there, and it was the third time a movie he was in wasn't received the way they'd hoped. Because, look, I don't think they thought the movie was an all-time classic. They knew that this was not going to be a complete experience. But they also thought, okay, but it's Justice League. The mere concept of the Justice League, the mere chance to see Batman and Wonder Woman and Superman and The Flash, all these people together on the screen together, that alone will get people into theaters. And yeah, maybe they may not love the movie, but they'll have a nice time. We made it a nice, bouncy enough, lighthearted experience that they'll still have a great time. So like, you know, they... they they didn't expect it to be received as an all-time classic because they knew it wasn't, but they also didn't expect it to fall quite on its face quite like it did. And this it, it became like the third time that a movie with Henry Cavill Superman in it failed to do that. You know, and, and listen, as I said a couple episodes ago, you know, that's un, that's an unfair thing to hang on Cavill, of course. You know, he didn't write or direct any of those films that he was in. He was basically just a cog in a wheel. He was not the wheel itself, especially in Justice League, where they didn't even put him in the in the promotion. So, you know, it's hard to hang that on him. But it doesn't change the fact that right now, you know, Henry Cavill's face with an S beneath it is attached to three movies that were not received the way they'd hoped. We can't change that. We can't will into existence an alternate reality where Henry Cavill is this beloved Superman and the masses have embraced him as the Superman of, the, of, of this generation. You know, we can delude ourselves. We can lie to ourselves and say that's the case. But if we're being realistic, if you look around, he, he hasn't cracked into that mainstream as the Superman for a generation. Right now, he, you know, he has that reputation within our little hive. But when you go out and you, and you explore the world beyond our little Twitter hive, our little blogosphere, our little Reddit zone, you realize that his Superman hasn't dominated the conversation. You know, my kids have an Alexa. And when my daughter says, hey, Alexa, play the Superman theme. You know what they play? They play John Williams' Superman theme, the Christopher Reeve one. Like, he's, you know, for whatever reason, you know, this Superman hasn't caught fire. The way, and by the way, that, that wasn't the end-all, be-all example, by the way. I'm not, going, I'm, not, I'm not basing it all on what Alexa's music choices are. 
But it just goes to show you that like outside in the mainstream world, there's still this sort of like a lot of people are still clinging to the Reeve depiction. A lot of people are still like they have it. They have a picture of Superman in their mind, and it's not Henry Cavill's mostly grimacing face. I just, you know, I just want to put that out there. Um, but look, you know, we can't blame him for it. But either way, you know, it just, it just seems like DC Entertainment learned a very valuable lesson from Justice League, and it's that, you know, fans aren't necessarily bought on a brand name alone. Now, you can't just put the DC banner over a film that has Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman and The Flash and Aquaman and Cyborg in it and then just expect the money to roll in. I think they kind of thought that was going to happen this time around, that they could get away with putting out a movie that Superman's face looks funny the whole time and where the villain has like, you know, is, is as one dimensional as they come with CG that looks like it's from a bad PS4 cutscene. Like, they thought they could sneak this by us and it would still make a mint at the box office just be, you know, just based on the brand, just based on the characters. And they learned instead that the film has to be good or that, or at least, you know, just a generally complete experience that, that, that it has to be part of, of a franchise that has a ton of goodwill, that the audience has to be very high on the brand, not just have a, they, they can't just know the brand. They have to love what's coming from the brand. And right now, outside of Wonder Woman, Justice League arrived in a DCU that kind of was limping after BVS and after Suicide Squad. I know that hurts to hear for some, for, from you know, for some of you, but it's just the truth. And I'm sorry, I can't, you know, I can't run away from the truth. And when it comes to Justice League, you know, they put in something that was rushed and cheaply done and audiences turned their backs on it. You know, the, 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 ones, who, the ones who saw it, oddly enough, seemed to enjoy it more than the previous films. You know, it, it got the same B-plus cinema score that Venom did. And it actually had a very nice multiplier. And, you know, it had decent legs for a movie that is thought of as a, as a failure by so many. But overall, you know, it, it, it failed to be what it could have been. And this explains why they're being so careful right now when it comes to Superman. You know, because they can't just keep going back to the Superman well if they're going to risk tarnishing the character forever. At this point, you know, Superman Returns in 2006, greatly underperformed. Man of Steel in 2013 was a divisive film that didn't live up to its full box office potential. And while that's not, a, you know, that's not the character's fault, and while it totally sucks as a devout fan of his, I guess the logical part of me also, you know, has to, like, I have to be acceptant, you know, because I almost have to be relieved, honestly. That there's a grown-up in the room. That there isn't someone out there who's making these decisions emotionally and impulsively as I would. You know, it's that, that, that there's someone there who's saying, no, we can't rush a reboot into production. And we also can't keep forcing the current Superman down their throats when they're clearly not loving him. We have to know exactly, precisely, and carefully what we're going to do with him. And so here he is. As I wrote about last week on RevengeOfTheFans.com, here he is in limbo, in his own personal phantom zone. And you know, look, on an emotional level, I hate it. I hate it. 
And as someone who knows that there are great Superman stories to tell, timely ones, as someone who knows all this, even on a rational intellectual level, I've got to admit that taking their time here makes sense. Ugh, I hate, I hate even saying that, but it's true. You know, because he's not like Spider-Man, you know, because I've pointed out Spider-Man before as an example of like, he's always got a movie in production and Marvel wasn't worried about rebooting him very quickly after the Andrew Garfield thing didn't really work out and yada, yada, yada. But it's a different situation, really, if, if, if I'm being honest. You know, what happened with Marvel Studios creating a second Spidey re reboot in a matter of years, they were only able to do that because they had the MCU to do it with. You know, they had a very successful, beloved brand to do it with that fans were able to go, oh, okay, we're doing another Peter Parker? All right, but hey, you know what? At least he's next to Tony Stark and he's having scenes with, you know, Captain America. And you know what? This is really cool. So it, 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 while it's a little strange to have a third Peter Parker in just a matter of years, um, you know, I'll give this a chance. In Superman's case, he doesn't have some other thriving, beloved DC franchise to be reintroduced in. That's not a luxury he has right now. Therefore, they're setting out to make the cinematic DC universe as great and as successful as possible first. And then they're going to give Superman a proper backdrop, a proper you know world that he can now exist within so that they can then reintroduce him with all of that success around him. I know most of us would rather he be the springboard for the DCU, as he would have been had Man of Steel been a sterling success story. But with the way things are now, it has to be the other way around. You know, Superman, at this point, right now, if they were to put a Superman movie right now, he can't save the DCU on his own. But a rejuvenated DCU can save Superman. And, you know, I have to think of it that way. I have to think about, the, about it that way. I have to be diplomatic. Because if not, then I just get angry. You know, and I, I wrote that very impassioned piece for the site last week. And it came from a place of, of, of emotion and hurt and anger. But then in the days to come, you know, what always happens with me is after the emotion sort of dies down, then the brain comes into play. And that's when I started thinking about all this other stuff, about the fact that, you know, it makes sense not to rush it. They've got to do it right. Right now, rushing one out wouldn't do anyone any favors, and it would risk tarnishing the character for good or for a very long time. So they're going to take their time. They're going to expand the canvas a little bit. They're going to bring us a bunch of wonderful characters and hopefully successful adaptations and renditions of these beloved characters. And then once the DCU is up and running again, then we'll get to a place where we get to meet a new Superman. Or who knows? By then, a few years from now, maybe the studio and Cavill have struck a deal and they found the right story and the right director and now they'll feel good bringing him back into the mix, you know? But for the time being, Superman's dead. Superman's in limbo. We're not going to get any Superman movies for a long time. And I just have to try my darndest to be as, as positive and as diplomatic on that as I can be. Because there's really nothing else I can do. You know, there, there's no amount of 
shouting or screaming or, or venting or creating petitions that I can get behind that's going to make Warner Brothers suddenly go, oh, okay, well, let's just drop everything and force a Superman movie into production, even though it could be the, the final nail in the coffin for this Superman if we do that. So, um, yeah, listen, it's not fun being diplomatic. Trust me. I would love to be able to just stay on one side of an issue at all times. But, you know, it's it's diplomacy and trying to understand your enemy. Diplomacy and trying to understand where you, where the opposition is coming from is kind of the only way we're ever going to get out of most of the messes we're in as a people, as a society, as a culture, as in anything. And, um, you know, I... Uh, I guess before I, I, I kind of go down that rabbit hole, because I'm going to, because we're going to talk a little bit about James Gunn, and we're going to talk a little bit about what happened last week with Suicide Squad 2 and him joining DC and some of the responses I've seen out there and some of what, like, the the scary behaviors I'm seeing from humankind lately. Uh, so we're going to get into all that, but I guess before we do, you know, I kind of want to just kind of circle back just real quick. To this idea of like fun and as opposed to darkness, because, you know, th there's like a false narrative being floated around that the new DC entertainment is all about fun and that they're not going to venture into dark territory anymore. But there's a problem with that narrative. And that problem is it's total nonsense. Yes. OK, they added some fun into Justice League or Justice League, as some of you like to say. Um, you know, they did that to grease the wheels and hopefully turn the film into a generally likable experience, despite its flaws. But that doesn't mean that they're unwilling to keep mining darker, edgier stuff. I mean, all you have to do is use your eyes and see it. Look at Titans, okay? Titans with its, you know, F Batman and with its, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a dark, violent, sort of edgy show. Granted, it's a little on the cornier side, uh, you know, but, you know, but they're trying, you know, they're trying to do something a little more grown up. Look at Joker. You know, there were those set pictures of, of Joaquin Phoenix's Joker doing just snorting coke at a diner the other day. Like this thing is going to be dark. You know, it, it, first of all, it's more than likely going to be rated R. It's going to have drugs and sex and violence. It's going to have an unhinged dark, demented Joaquin Phoenix, you know, performance at its center. And right now they're, you know, it, it's the biggest DC thing anyone's talking about aside from Aquaman, of course, but you know, it's, it's what most people are talking about and are excited about. So they're not scared of dark, you know, and, and by the way, you know, they've brought in James Gunn for Suicide Squad too. And while I know some of you will chuckle, you know, oh, how is Gunn proof that they're not scared of the dark? Well, because if you look at his non-Disney cinematic output, he's not exactly known for playing things safe. You know, he wrote Dawn of the Dead, which was directed by Zack Snyder, and which I thought was pretty great. It was a fun, crazy, sort of inventive, sort of subversive zombie flick. I loved it. It turned the genre on its head. It was dark and scary when it needed to be. It was funny and almost satirical when it had to be. It was, you know, it was great. And that's a James Gunn written project. And everything I've heard about Super and Slither, I think, that horror movie that I, it's on my list. I want to try to see it this month, but I couldn't find it anywhere the other night. You know, anything about Super and, uh, Super and Slither that I've heard is that they're great and they're dark and they're in these inventive little 
underground gems. And Warner Brothers, mind you, is going to let Gunn's imagination run wild with Suicide Squad because that's their thing now, right? They're trying to be filmmaker-driven. They're trying to give directors their power and their voice back because that's always been Warner Brothers' thing. Yes, in these last couple of years when it came to BVS and Suicide Squad and Justice League, they, they dabbled in the idea of having the producers calling the shots and trying to create an overarching vision for the franchise, but that didn't work out. So we know under Walter Hamada, they want to go back to just letting directors do what they do. So with that in mind, when you take James Gunn and you take a property like Suicide Squad, which in and of itself is a pretty dark and twisted property when you consider it's about a bunch of villains who have to do good beneath the threat of death. You know, when you put those two things together, he's not going to make a little cute, cuddly Suicide Squad. You know, you'd be a fool to expect him to just do Guardians of the Galaxy, but with Suicide Squad characters. That's way too simplistic. That's that, it's just it's, it's, it's not what anyone who's really paying attention to anything should expect. If he's coming to D.C., it's because they, they're giving him creative leeway and they're going to let him do his movie his way. And he's not going to have a studio breathing down his neck or trying to fire him over old tweets. So he's coming here and he's going to cut loose. And Suicide Squad 2, or whatever they end up calling it, since it's not going to be a traditional sequel, but rather what they call like a fresh take, which I, I think means we're just going to have a new team. But he's still going to keep certain key players and all that sort of stuff. But it's going to be like a reboot within a sequel, which I think is kind of a cool idea, by the way. I tweeted about it last week, but you know, if Suicide Squad becomes almost like the Expendables of the DC Universe, I'm down with that. You know, I'm totally down with that, with like rotating team members, and you have certain mainstays, and you know, there are always these crazy missions, and all these people with all these different you know uh, abilities and specialties. You know, I it'll be like a who's who of DC's great villains kind of rotating in and out with probably, you know, Amanda Waller as the main person who puts all the teams together. You have Margot Robbie pop in from time to time. You have, you know, maybe you try to sign Will Smith and his dead shot to be one of the mainstays as well. But overall, I think the Suicide Squad concept can work if we kind of just, you know, make each film about a different team. But um, I digress, you know, just... I just want to say, you know, like, don't go telling me that DC is all about butterflies and rainbows now because they're clearly willing to explore darker, subversive territory. The only thing they're moving away from, and, you know, it's sad if you're a fan of his, but the only thing they're moving away from is Zack Snyder, not from darkness, not from darker storytelling, not from more mature content. They're still cranking out and working on plenty of that. The only thing they're not doing anymore is more of the Snyder aesthetic, more of the Snyder sort of way of viewing these characters. All right. So I just kind of want to just touch on that because I'm tired of hearing this like, oh, DC's trying to Marvelize itself. I don't. Are you paying attention? Do you think Marvel would ever make a movie like Joker where he's snorting cocaine in a diner? You know what I mean? Like, come on, come on. Let, let's be realistic here. That's just a scapegoat. That's just you. You're you're generally pissy and mad about what happened with Justice League, and you're looking for a way to lash out and make DC sound like a bunch of you know aloof idiots, but they're not. Okay, they're not. Um, 
But okay, so you know, we're, we're talking gun, we're talking Suicide Squad, we're talking kind of what I was getting to a little earlier, and uh, so let's let's kind of dive into that a little bit because, oh, you know, you, you got people who look at this James Gunn situation, and listen, I'm I'm not one, I'm not here to defend his old jokes, to stand by his old tweets. I'm not a fan of his. You know, I, I know I just kind of spoke up, you know, his, his previous work, but it was mainly to paint a picture for you of the fact that he's not going to make some cuddly little PG Suicide Squad movie. He's going to definitely push it because that seems to be what he does. But in general, I'm not like this big James Gunn guy. I mainly only know the Guardians movies, and neither one of those did a hell of a lot for me. But when I look at the way he's been treated by some, when I look at the the amount of punishment that people want for what is essentially a bunch of old inappropriate jokes, I just kind of have to take a step back and be like, are we really at this place in our society where, oh, I don't get your jokes. I don't think you're funny. I don't think you should be using these words with your face. So I'm going to ruin your career and I'm going to hope you never work in this town again. Like, is that... Is that really how we want to live? Like, do, do, do all the people who want to throw James Gunn in the trash heap, do they all have zero red on their ledger? Do they have nothing in their past that they regret? Is there no part of them that they're glad that they grew beyond? Have they never had to look in the eye of someone they love dearly and make the decision to forgive them for some atrocity that they've committed because you know deep down they are wonderful people and we're all frail and incomplete and 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 you know just trying to do our best but oftentimes we suck by accident on our way to becoming who we want to be like are we do we want to look in the eyes of those people and go no 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 forgiveness for you no i i i, I want nothing to do with you like Anyway, the, the people who seem the most outraged about James Gunn and who feel like he should never be touched upon again because he made some inappropriate remarks on a social media platform that have never been proven or claimed to be anything other than just words on a screen that are not attached to actions. Anyone who's that bent out of shape, I just want to ask you so many questions. I really do. But I, I, I get the sense that maybe you haven't lived much. Or maybe you have lived much, but you've never thought about how much you've changed, how much you've grown, how, how the person you were 10 years ago probably does not resemble very much the person you are today. Maybe you've never had a, t a thing in your life that you regretted or a, t or, a, or, or a period in your life where you acted in ways that you're ashamed of. But you know what? I feel most of us have. Most of us who've been out there in the world living and breathing and interacting and being the, the unbearable but sometimes beautiful messes that we all are. If you've lived a life like that, you know better than to pass judgment on someone else. Unless there's a crime involved, unless they hurt someone, unless we have proof that some you know, that they committed some sort of atrocity, if all they did was act like an a-hole, 
then we got to cut them some slack because even a-holes have to pay the rent. And you know what? If you look around, if you look into anyone's history, anyone can be made to look like a villain. Anyone can be pulled apart and go, oh, why did you act this way when you were 20? Oh, why did you tell this ex-girlfriend of yours this when you were 30? Oh, why did you, why were you so mean to your parents at 40? Like at any given time, you can take out and pull apart isolated moments in a person's life that showed that they were a lost, heaping mess of humanity at some point before they figured out who they were and what they wanted to be. Because you know what? Life is a, it, 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 it's a bunch of trial and error. All throughout life, we're all trying on different identities. We're all trying to figure out who do I want to be? Maybe this is who I am. Maybe this is my identity. Maybe this is what I find funny. Maybe this is what I do to get attention. Maybe this is going to be how I finally get the love that I've always wanted, that I've always been yearning for. If I act this way, or if I hang with these people, or if I wear this hat, or whatever silly thing that you get yourself into, we're all trying on different hats, metaphorically speaking, all throughout our lives. And we have to cut slack to those who along the way maybe did some things that are stupid. Because we've all done things that are stupid. And if you really think you haven't, then you need to get out and live more. And... You know, this isn't even necessarily about gun because it's like, I don't, you know, what he, he said a bunch of stupid shit. And listen, I, I read the tweets. I, I'm not just talking about this as a as someone who's uninformed and just said, oh, they're jokes. Like I look through most of them and honestly, I can decode. And by the way, misinformation, there's only about 20 of them. People think that just because he deleted hundreds, if not thousands of tweets, that they were all these kinds of things. But no. People found them. They isolated them. There's articles about them. There were only about 20. The rest was just deleted as part of just a mass like, you know what? I, I don't want anyone else to misunderstand me anymore. I don't want weird things I said years ago coming back to haunt me. Which, by the way, Elon Musk. No, not Elon Musk. The, the other uh, entrepreneur. Another famous one. Uh, what's his name? The guy who owns that basketball team. Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban was ahead of the curve on this stuff. He, he's been saying for years that everyone needs to like have an expiration date on their online activity because if not, people are going to start digging into your online activity from years ago and using it to ruin your present. So listen, you know, th there's a lot of celebrities now who are, who are now wise to this. There are a lot of people now who are like, you know what, in this climate, with the way the lynch mobs so easily form, with the way people misinterpret words and you have foreigners who maybe don't understand the nuances of the wording I was using. So they'll just take it literally or they'll take it the wrong way and then they'll write an article about it and that article will go viral. And now you have a bunch of people getting all freaked out and grabbing their pitchforks because of a joke someone misunderstood. You have a lot of people now deleting a bunch of tweets because they're like, whoa, you know, in this current place that we're living in right now. This, it's not a good time to have a, a something that could be vaguely misinterpreted. But back to Gunn, like, yeah, he had like 20 offensive tweets. I read them all. In nearly all of them, I was able to go, oh, okay, so that's just a joke about poor water pressure. 
oh, that's just a joke about how over-testosteronized the Expendables movies are and how it makes you want to act out against wimpy boys in the movie theater. Like, yeah, he was making, like, a silly joke about that. Like, if you go through it, he the, the target of the joke is rarely what you think it is, you know? Like, like I said, the, the, the target in the Expendables one was machismo itself. He was going after machismo. But because of the way he phrased it and the way he, he put it there, the, the, the scenario that he painted, it looks like he's talking about something else. But that's the thing. You can't be so literal-minded. And you know what? Even if you are, it shouldn't matter if you appreciate the joke. It shouldn't matter if you get the joke. Because at the end of the day, it's just a joke. But now you got people going, oh, they're, they're trying to equate him to an actual abuser. You have people trying to equate him to an actual pedophile or a sexual harasser. And to those people, I want to ask, listen, if he was any of those things in this climate where people come out all the time against all kinds of celebrities, don't you think something would have come out in the last two months? If these were anything other than just baseless, crappy jokes, don't you think someone would have come forward and said, yes, well, James Gunn did these things to me. These are not just jokes. These are indications of who he is as a person. That stuff would have come out by now. And maybe that's an assumption on my part. I know there's also this feeling that victims are not heard nowadays, that they come out and they get silenced and they get shamed. But in this particular case, no one would shame them. You know, James Gunn would just, he would just go down in flames as another Hollywood pervert. Right now, you know, it, it's, right now, there would be no backlash against someone who came out and said James Gunn, James Gunn was a bad guy. But no one has. So that goes to show you, this was not part of his character. This is not who he is. It's a way that he acted a long time ago, and now we need to move on. And you know what? It's funny because I'm not defending him. I'm not defending him. And on some levels, you know, I know that I know that there's more to this because he also made that, you know, he likes to be very critical and judgmental of others. And so in a way, he almost begged this. He almost begged for this by constantly going after certain people. He did that thing where he dropped a weird hint about Jared Leto liking underage girls you know, he, he, he's, he's been flying off at the mouth in an activist capacity for the last couple of years. And unfortunately, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to go into that territory, you're going to create enemies and you're going to get people who are going to hold you to the same standard you're holding others to. So that's why I, you know, I laughed before a few seconds ago, because it's like, you know, maybe some of this he does have coming. You know, I don't think he, ha I don't think he deserves to be called an abuser and equated with the kind of people who actually do the things that he was just joking about. But I also think maybe, you know, maybe he's kind of responsible. You know what I mean? You can't spend all your time pointing fingers at others and then freak out when people point their fingers at you. And to his credit, he hasn't really freaked out. You know, when all this happened, he apologized. He once again explained himself. But then he just kind of went into reclusion. He didn't freak out. He didn't release any statements going, this is so unfair. I'm so mad at Disney. How dare you people do this to me? He kind of took this on the chin. 
He seems like someone who's fairly enlightened these days and who maybe on some level kind of had an awakening. I was like, you know what? I guess I have to pay. You know, I had to pay the piper at some point. You know, the way I used to act was not great. And I guess it was bound to harm me at some point. Hopefully I land on my feet. And it looks like that's exactly what's happened. You know, Warner Brothers saw who he was, what he's capable of. They could see that just, you know, treating a guy as a, as a pariah in the industry just because he made some jokes a bunch of years back is just foolishness. So they're giving him a chance. And a part of me is just like, yes, people deserve second chances. Some people deserve third chances. And if, you know, if you've ever had to forgive someone in the past, I hope you remember what that felt like. If you've ever had to be forgiven, I hope you remember what that felt like. Because I don't know about you, but, you know, I don't want to live in a society where we're not allowed to make mistakes. I don't want to live in a society where, like, if someone decides they're offended by some way that I acted, some way that I was at some point, that they can come and destroy my life now. And do you really want to be living with that, looking over your shoulder for that kind of thing, too? It's not fair. It's not how life should work. And don't even get me started on this whole stuff about like the, the, the court of public opinion and people just, you know, going based off the 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 accusation itself. I don't even, I don't even want to go into a tangent on that stuff. But right now we we can't lose the, our sense for, you know, we are uh, the rule of law, the rule of being innocent until proven guilty. And being judged by a jury of your peers based on evidence and testimony and all kinds of things. Nowadays, all you hear is one negative headline or one person accusing someone of something else. And we know nothing really about any of the parties involved, but it just feels good to get angry about it. So you get these lynch mobs and people freaking out. And we don't even know all the facts, but people just like to freak out and tear down others because that's how they make themselves feel good. If I'm stepping on someone else's neck and shoving them down in some way that raises me up. And that's some, that's some of the saddest stuff I've ever seen. And it makes me so worried about where we're heading as a, as a society. But <clears throat> something else I kind of want to just float into, put into the ether of your mind while we're in this space is that artists are weird. Artists are weird people. I say that as a reformed artist. No, I'm still an artist. Like, like, like I said last week, you know, I'm a has-been that never was. But I still identify myself as a creative type, as an artist. And you know what? Artists are strange. You know, we're, we're very passionate. We're very insecure. We have huge egos. We're incredibly ambitious and incredibly impulsive. When things are beautiful, everything is a song. When things are sad, everything is an opera and a tragedy. We feel things. We look at the world differently than most normal people do. It's how we're able to write the great songs you hear and, and write and act and direct and star in the movies that you love so much and the TV shows that you love so much. It's because of our, our, our sort of outsized view of the world and how... We kind of believe in a form of magic. 
You know, artists, our brains are wired strange. Even just deciding to be an artist as a career is an insane decision. You know, if you think about it, with with everyone around you going to school and getting degrees and figuring out their nine to five jobs and what their career is going to be and your friend's going to be a doctor and your other friend wants to be a lawyer and this one wants to start their own this and blah, 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 blah. You know, to, the, to make the decision to be an artist and follow your heart and your dreams and your passions in and of itself is a form of insanity, but we do it. And those of, those of us who are, who are way more successful than I am, as in successful at all, you know, the ones who do that, it's because they're able to tap into a part you know, a, of a fearlessness and almost a recklessness of spirit. And guess what? The same things that make artists great are the very same things that also lead to them acting in ways that are horrendous. So when it comes to Hollywood, when it comes to witch hunts, when it comes to looking for which actor or director or producer or writer did questionable things in their past, guess what? Probably all of them did. All of them have done things, have at times treated others like crap, have been utterly toxic, have acted out in ways that are immature and outlandish and ridiculous cries for attention. Because you know what? It's all part of the crazy, messed up psyche of what it is to be an artist. It's how, it's how we view the world. We're all over the place. We're all over the map. And we've all done things that we're not proud of and we're, where we pay for them every day in our own private way. And sometimes we channel it into our work and we write that great script about the flawed anti-hero that you love so much. But little do you know, I came up with that anti-hero because of some horrible thing I did that I'm running away from. I'm, all, I'm speaking in hypotheticals, by the way. I haven't written anything. I wish I did. But, you know, when it comes to art and artists, you're dealing with messy people. And if we're just going to start going into Hollywood and picking apart every single actor, director, writer, producer, anyone who's ever just tweeted out an inappropriate joke, guess what? We're not going to be left with anyone anymore. If we expect everyone in Hollywood, just like in any other industry, if we expect anyone, everyone everywhere to be the most sane, ethical, conscientious, mature, diplomatic, grown-up individual who's well-adjusted and has never made a mistake and didn't go through a dark phase in their life where they did questionable things that they're not proud of. If that's what we're expecting, guess what? We're in for a lifetime of heartache, my friends. So at some point after this initial you know, outcry of what's going on now where we're tearing down people. And listen, some people deserve it. I'm not, I'm not saying that like everyone's off the hook. Absolutely not. There are actual monsters out there. You have your Harvey Weinsteins. You have some of the stuff that I've heard about, you know, Kevin Spacey where he's actually grabbing underage boys and doing all this ugly stuff. You know, you have people out there who are actual abusers and predators and like, let's go after them. Let's, let's burn them. Let's throw them into a pit by all means. But if we're going to start expanding the scope of the Me Too movement to anyone who's ever just been a prick, then I think maybe we've gone too far because even pricks got to earn a paycheck. And sometimes pricks create amazing life altering works 
and make thousands of people see it and view life differently and try to be better people because they want to try to one day achieve that level of art and Zen that they just experienced through the work of someone who may have been a giant jackass. It's okay to be a jackass and a prick is what I'm trying to say. Not really, but you know what I mean? It's just, we've got to watch out who we're throwing into the fire here and whether or not the punishment quote unquote fits the crime. Cause I, I, I spoke about this the other day about you know, we, on Twitter about James Gunn. Like it's very easy for those of us on the outside to go, Oh, well he hasn't paid enough. He hasn't suffered enough. Like, are you kidding me? A, I've already established he he fired off like 20 inappropriate tweets. Okay, that should not end a career. But let's look at what he's lost. Okay? The Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 now has been ripped away from him. A universe that he helped to build with characters that he's written that exemplify parts of his history and his personality and things he's been working out and themes of you know, family and, to- and togetherness and toxic masculinity and bad fathers. And like, this is a world that clearly has meant a lot to him. And he was getting ready to film this film. You know, they were going to enter principal photography in a couple of months in January. And he just got canned from that. Imagine how much that must hurt just as an artist to have this whole thing ripped away from you because of some inappropriate jokes made years ago, all because of some right wing nut who's trying to end your career because you bad-mouthed the president he happens to like. Like, that has to be hard stuff to deal with if you're James Gunn. Then think about the, about the rumors that he was going to be the creative architect for the Marvel Cinematic Universe's Phase 4. So he had basically gotten a promotion. He had gone from being the writer-director on Guardians to being the guy who Kevin Feige relied upon to carry the MCU into the cosmos. And he lost that gig too. And you know what? Neither one of those two bits of punishment are half as bad or even a quarter as bad, I'm sure, as the public shaming he's had to endure. Turning on the TV and seeing news pundits analyzing his tweets and using his, you know, a picture of his face with headlines about pedophile this, pedophile that, oh, jokes against children. And like, can you imagine living like that? Knowing that members of the media, knowing that thousands, if not millions of people on Twitter are, are, are mad at you and freaking out and, and you, you have to explain to your friends and your loved ones, no, 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 I, I didn't do those things. It's, they were old jokes and like, it's incredibly embarrassing, incredibly painful, embarrassing stuff to lose these jobs and to be publicly humiliated and to have people questioning whether or not you are some sort of deviant. Those are a lot of major punishments for anyone to have to endure. I don't know how much more you guys expected. Should he do prison time for his crappy jokes? Is that what you wanted? Should he be blacklisted from Hollywood because he made some references you don't understand? Is that, is that really kind of, is that, is that where we're drawing the line? Is that what we want? When is enough enough? It's ridiculous. And you know what? You know, those of you who enjoy this show, 
who write me the beautiful reviews, those of you who send me the, the wonderful emails and private messages you send me letting me know the impact I'm having on you and how much you're loving this community we're growing and Revenge of the Fans and the Revengers and the whole thing. Half of you wouldn't have liked me at all a few years ago. A few years back, I used to act in ways that were abhorrent. I was self-righteous, self-serving. I was immature. I was entitled. Since I had a crappy childhood and the first half of my life sucked, I used to walk around with a chip on my shoulder like the world owed me something. And the only reason that I'm here today able to do the things that I'm doing now and trying to build the things that I'm attempting to build and able to look at the world in a way that I, I do nowadays that so many of you are gravitating towards is by hitting bottom and finding forgiveness. First, the forgiveness of my wife who saw what I was becoming and, and who saw how this whole sort of thing had come off the rails. And instead of turning her back on me and instead of going, no, you are beyond saving. You are not. You know, I, 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 I'm going to lock you. Know, I'm throwing you away because I can't I, I can't give I, I can't give you the benefit of the doubt anymore that you're going to become a better person instead of doing that. She gave me a chance to remake myself, to rebuild myself stronger, smarter, and better than ever. And I don't know that I am better than ever. I know I'm just a work in progress, but I'm trying. And I could have never done that if I hadn't been forgiven. And if I hadn't been given a chance. Because maybe the world would be a better place if when people stumbled... We offered them a hand instead of pointing and laughing at them. Or when they made a mistake, we put a hand on their shoulder instead of balling it up into a fist to attack them for their mistake. But all right, on that note, uh, I think it's time to leave you with my usual farewell, which seems a little extra relevant uh, this week than uh, it typically does. So um, until next week, life is chaos. Be kind. Adios. Thank you.